one year later and four weeks, because we're four weeks into our little mini-series, which will end today with where is the church one year later? What have you learned about the church one year later? And there's so much I want to say, I just don't have the time to say everything I need to say. But that's okay, because we want to get across to you the things that are of extreme importance as you begin to understand where is the church one year later? Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 11, verse number 3, I am afraid that as a serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. How easily the church is led away from its purity and devotion to Christ. So much so that for the most part, they don't even see it. They don't even understand it. Because Satan is so deceptive in how he works in people's lives. I guess the thing that disturbs me the most is how easily the people of the church are willing to follow government regulations but find it hard to follow God's revelation. That really disturbs me. As if we live in the fear of man more than we live in the fear of God. And Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 12, verse number 13, that we are to fear God and, and keep his commandments. And this applies to every man, not just some men, but every man. And the end of all things is just simply that. The summation of all things is to, is to fear God and to keep his commandments. But we don't keep his commandments because we don't fear him. We fear man. We fear what man can do to us. We live in, in the fear of man. So let me give you a simple illustration. We all know that the Supreme Court came down with the decision, a 5-4 decision, a week ago Friday, that allows religious people to gather together in homes with more than three, three families. Gather together for prayer, for Bible studies, or religious services in homes. Which was the fifth defeat of Governor Newsom in just a matter of months. He's 0 for 5. And so, that would cause, according to this past Monday, that churches can now meet without any restrictions on their services. But they still recommend that you don't fully meet or that you still follow the CDC guidelines. And so I wonder how many churches will actually open up, who haven't opened up yet, pray tell, I have no understanding why, but they haven't opened up yet, that they will open up finally now. Some will, some won't. And what disturbs me about that is that they would wait for the Supreme Court to make a decision instead of following the decree of the Supreme Judge of the universe. That's what disturbs me. That we wait for our government to tell us what we can and cannot do instead of saying, God, what do you want us to do? 
How do we best serve you? How do we best honor you? How do we best lift your name on high? That's simply because we do not fear God and keep his commandments. We truly do live in the fear of man. And the revelation of God is set aside. It is now dishonored in churches. It's disregarded in churches. It's defamed in many churches. And therefore, it has become degraded in so many churches. Because God's word just isn't held in the high esteem. So if I was going to preach one last sermon, this would be it. If I could tell you one last thing, today would be it. I'm not prophesying my death tomorrow. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that if I could preach one last sermon, this sermon would be the sermon. Because I'm going to tell you what one man said 3,500 years ago. Because it would be his last sermon. And I'm going to tell you what another man said 2,000 years ago because it would be his last sermon. And what they have to say is so important to us today because nothing ever changes. Because God never changes. So what he has to say is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It goes across all cultural barriers, all timelines, because it's the living and abiding word of God that stands across all things and encompasses all things. So I want to be able to show you that this morning. God had, had given Israel his living oracles, his word. He didn't give his word to the Canaanites. He didn't give his word to the Jebusites. He didn't give his words to the Amorites. He didn't even give his words to the termites. He gave his word only to the Israelites. Because as living oracles that they were, they were to live out the truth in a pagan culture. Israel had been saturated with the truth. They had been given the truth. And all they had to do was live according to the truth, the revelation of God, that's it. Christianity's not that hard. Just live according to what God's word says. That's it. That's all God wants you to do. Just obey me. Fear me. Keep my commandments. That's it. If you do that, you're going to live a great life. A great life. And God wanted Israel to understand those things. He didn't want them to become culturalized. He didn't want them to become canonized. But yet, very slowly but surely, they became like the Canaanites. It was very subtle. It was like, we would like to have a king like all the other nations have a king. That would be a good thing. That's not a bad thing. Can we just have a king like all the other nations have a king? And so it starts out very, very slowly as they begin to saturate themselves with the land of Canaan. And God gave them a king. And yet over time, it went way beyond kingship to worship. And they began to worship like those in Canaan. They became idolaters like those in, in Canaan. And God is a very jealous God. And he doesn't want you to worship anyone else or anything else other than himself. 
He is the supreme God of the universe. He wants all of our adoration. He wants all of our admiration. He wants all of our attention. He wants all of us. Same is true with the nation of Israel. So Moses, before he dies, gives a last sermon. It's the book of Deuteronomy. It's a long sermon. In that book, he lays out the foundations for Israel. So if you have your Bible, turn back with me to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Now when Moses ends his sermon in Deuteronomy 32, he says these words. For it is not an idle word for you, indeed it is your life. And by this word you will prolong your days in the land which you are about to cross the Jordan to possess. What I've just told you are not empty words. They're not futile words. They're not idle words. The words I've just told you are your life. And what did Jesus say in Matthew 4? Man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. God made it very clear that in order for us to live his life, especially when we face temptation and difficulties, it's only by his word that gives us life. So Moses says at the end of his sermon, this is your life. These are not empty words. Hold on to them. And so he says in Deuteronomy chapter 4, these words, verse number 40, so you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I am giving you today, and it may, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may live long on the land which the Lord your God has given you for all time. God has given you this land for all time. And I want you to live long on the land. And then in chapter 5, verse number 29, oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commandments. Always. That it may be well with them and with their sons forever. I just want them to keep all my commandments. Remember what the Lord said to the two men on the road to Emmaus, the reason you are foolish, the reason you are senseless, the reason you are slow is because you do not believe and keep all that God has said. So the Lord through, Deuter through Moses is gonna to explain to them, I want you to keep all my commandments, not just some of them, all of them. Because these words are not empty words. These words are your life. So down in verse number 32 of chapter 5. So you shall observe to do just as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right or to the left. You shall walk in all the way which the Lord your God has commanded you. That you may live and that it may be well with you that you may prolong your days in the land which you will possess. I want you to live a well-ordered life. I want you to live the good life. I want you to live a long life. And you're about to pass into the land of Canaan. But before you do, understand that God has given these commandments and every one of them you gotta keep. 
You got to obey them all. You can't pick and choose which ones you want to obey. You must obey them all. So in chapter 6, verse number 1, now this is the commandment, the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you that you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life and that your days may be prolonged. O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it that it may be well with you and that you may multiply greatly just as the Lord, the God of your fathers has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Oh, Israel, I need you to listen very carefully. Pay close attention to what I'm going to tell you because I want your life to be prolonged. I want you to live a well life. We forget that God's word is wellness to the soul. It says over in the book of Proverbs, the third chapter, verse, chapter three, verse number one, my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. If you just keep my commandments, if you just obey the word of the Lord, there's something that's going to happen to your life. And whatever happens in your life, there'll be great peace. He goes on to say, do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. Listen, if you want good favor in the sight of God and in the sight of man, then you just keep the truth of God's word. You just bind them around your neck. Do everything that God's word says. You'll find favor in the sight of God, in the sight of man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. God's word is so powerful. It goes into the depth of a man. It doesn't mean you're never going to get sick. It doesn't mean that you're not going to, you're going to live forever. It doesn't mean that. But it does mean the life that you do live will be a life that's a well-ordered life, a life that's at peace with the living God, a life that brings refreshment to the inner part of a man that brings refreshment to your bones. And God will do a great mighty work in you. Solomon is saying virtually the same thing that Moses said when Moses was speaking to the nation of Israel. He says basically three things. He says, I want you to make sure that you heed the will of God. That you hear the warning from God and that you honor the word of God. That's it. Make sure that you heed the will of God. What is the will of God? Fear him and keep his commandments. Moses reiterates it over and over again. All throughout the book of Proverbs, Solomon says the same thing. He's giving advice to his son. He wants his son who's growing up to understand the importance of wisdom, knowledge, understanding. This is everything. 
Apply it to your life. The revelation of God is everything. Nothing else matters. Keep wisdom. Keep knowledge. Keep instruction. Bind them around your neck. Learn what God has for you, my son. So by the end of his life in the book of Ecclesiastes, he says, simply says, fear God and, and keep his commandments. That's it. Let me sum it up this way. Just fear him and keep his commandments. Same thing Moses said. Heed the will of God. And then he says this, verse four, hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Notice the, the, the emphasis on the word all in verse number 33, in verse number two, in verse number five. Everything is with intensity. Everything is with totality. Everything about your being is to be wrapped up in, in hearing, O Israel, that the Lord your God is, a, is one God. And you need to love him with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. With all that you have, you are to love your God. This is the will of God for you. As you go into the land of Canaan, I do not want you to become Canaanized. Because you are not of those people. I want you to honor the Lord your God. He says in verse number six, these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a, a sign on your hand and you shall be as frontals on your forehead and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. God says, listen, I want God's word everywhere. I want you to wrap it around your, your hands and, and, and keep it in front of your, your eyes. And that's why the, the Jewish people have those phylacteries. They, they wrap around their head. and They, they wrap around their arm. It's the, it's the great Shema that says, you shall hear that the Lord your God is one. You shall love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's a reminder that wherever your hand, whatever your hand does, do it according to the word of God. Whatever your mind thinks of, think only of the things of God. Whatever your eyes see, see only the things of God. And God didn't literally mean you should, should put things around your arm and around your head. That's what the Jews do. They, they took it to that length. It just simply means whatever you see, whatever you do, whatever you think about, may it be centered on the word of God. Because if you don't see everything through the lens of Scripture, if you don't think about everything through the lens of Scripture, if what you do is not done through the lens of Scripture, you'll do the wrong thing, see the wrong thing, and think on the wrong thing. Be very, very careful. This is the will of God. Heed the will of God. Then he says, hear the warning from God. Then it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you great and splendid cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things which you did not fill, and hewn cisterns which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, and you eat and are satisfied. Then watch yourselves that you do not forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. You shall fear only the Lord your God and you shall worship him and swear by his name. 
You shall not follow other gods, any of the gods of the people who surround you. For the Lord your God in the midst of you is a jealous God. Otherwise, the anger of the Lord your God will be kindled against you and he will wipe you off the face of the earth. Wow, what a statement. Don't be on the wrong side of God. God is a jealous God. Don't make God angry. When you go into a land and you live in houses you did not build, drink from cisterns you did not dig, <laughs> be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. Watch yourselves. Watch yourselves. Because you're going to forget God. Forget who he is and what he's done. In other words, your, your perception of God will diminish. And if your perception of God diminishes, your adoration of God will depreciate. Watch yourselves Worship only him, no one else. And the reason your perception of God would diminish is because the revelation of God would be dishonored. You would not see things through the truth of God's word. You would not do things through the truth of God's word. You will not think on things through the truth of God's word. You'll forget about all those things because of all the good things the Lord's going to give you. Be very, very careful. Watch yourselves. Your God is a jealous God. He wants all of you. He does not want part of you. He wants all of you. He deserves, the very least, everything that you have and all that you are. Because he is a supreme God of the universe. Verse 16, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. As you tested him at Massah, you should diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes, which he commanded you. You shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with you, and that you may go in and possess the good land which the Lord swore to give to your fathers by driving out all your enemies from before you as the Lord has spoken. When your son asks you in time to come, saying, what do the testimonies and statutes and judgments mean which the Lord our God commanded you? Why would he ask that question? Why would your son even ask the question? It's because you're doing exactly what God said. When you drive out all the enemies, when you put the enemies out of your, out of your eyesight, when you do what God's commanded you, when you obey the word of God, when you see only God as you look at different things, when you do what only God has commanded you to do, when you fear God and keep his commandments, your sons will ask questions. They're gonna ask questions because they wanna know why you do what you do. Why aren't you like the Canaanites? Why aren't you like the Jebusites? What is it about us that makes us different? Dad, why do we do these things? Why aren't we like them? Why can't I go here? Why can't I do this? Why can't I be a part of this? Why does he ask the question? Because he sees you as the father leading the way. And Moses says, oh, families, oh, nation, listen. Your children will ask you questions if you obey, if you fear me and keep my commandments. They're going to ask questions, and when they do, verse 21, you say to your son, we were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us from Egypt with a mighty hand. Moreover, the Lord showed great and distressing signs and wonders before our eyes against Egypt, Pharaoh and all his household. 
He brought us out from there in order to bring us in to give us the land which he had sworn to our fathers. So the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes. Here it is. To fear the Lord our God for our good always and for our survival as it is today. It will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all this commandment before the Lord our God just as he commanded. You will tell your sons. You will explain to your sons. This is for our success. And this is for our survival. The only way the family survives in a pagan culture is to live according to the word of God, the revelation of God, is to keep his word because you fear only God. Whatever this chapter means, it will never bring harm to your life. It will never be unhealthy for your life. It will be extremely healthy for you. And Moses wants the people of Israel to understand this is what it's all about. Fear God, keep his commandments, all of his commandments. Live in the light of his glorious word. Moses is not going to enter the land of Canaan, but he, is, he was Israel's greatest leader. And so what he says in the book of Deut Deuteronomy, the reiteration of the law, the reiteration of the revelation of God is what Deuteronomy is. He says, I want you to understand this. If I had to say something to you, it's not going to be futile. It's not going to be idle. It's not going to be empty. What I'm going to say to you is the most important thing I could ever say to you, Moses says. This is it. I'm not going in with you. You're on your own once I'm done because I'm going the way of all the earth. I'm going to die. But you're going to enter into the land the land that God promised you. It is a pagan land. And you got to be careful. You cannot become Canaanized. And today in America, our churches have become Canaanized. We've become just like the world, thinking that we can win the world by being like them. But we cannot. Just like Israel could not win the people of the land of Canaan by being like them. So if I take you 2,000 years ago to the greatest leader in the New Testament, Moses, the greatest leader in the Old Testament, the Apostle Paul would say this in his last sermon. If you've got your Bible, turn to 2 Timothy chapter, chapter, chapter 1. Again, Paul has one last letter to write, one last sermon to preach. What's he going to say? He's not going to say something peripheral. He's going to give you that which is absolutely important, absolutely primary. The most important thing he could say, he's going to give it to his beloved son, Timothy. So Timothy understands what he needs to do. Paul knows as he sits in the Mamertine prison in Rome that his days are very, very short. He knows that he has already run the race. He's already fought the good fight. He knows that his life is at the end. And the next thing he knows, the crown of righteousness is laid up for him in glory 
and for all those who love his appearing, he knows he's going to die. So what's he going to say? What's he going to communicate? What's he going to tell his beloved disciple, Timothy? He tells him this. Verse 13. Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Timothy, you need to retain the standard. You need to get a firm grip. You gotta get a tight handle on the standard. What's the standard? It's the law of God. You need to get a firm grip on the standard because the standard is sound words. They're healthy words. The word for sound means healthy. Timothy, listen, I'm, a, I'm about to die. You need to make sure that you get a firm grip on that which is truly healthy for the soul. It's the standard of sound words which have been passed down from generation to generation. You've heard them from me. You've seen them lived out in me. Timothy, that's what you gotta get a hold of. Retain the standard of sound words. Don't depart and do something else. Keep the standard. The standard is always biblical. It is not cultural. The standard is always spiritual. It is not political. The standard is always about doctrinal issues. It's not about social issues. Timothy, retain the standard. Get a firm grip on healthy, sound words, Timothy. This is everything. And he says this in verse number eight. He calls the sound words in verse eight, gospel. In verse 14, the treasure. In chapter two, verse number five, the rules of competition. Chapter two, verse number nine, the word of God. Chapter two, verse number 15, the word of truth. He calls it the truth in chapter two, verse number 18. Chapter two, verse number 25. Chapter three, verses seven and eight. Chapter four, verse number four. He calls it the faith in chapter three, verse number eight. Chapter four, verse number seven. He calls it my teaching in chapter three, verse number 10. Things that you have learned 3.14, Sacred Writings 3.15, Scripture 3.16, The Word, chapter 4, verse number 2, Sound Doctrine, chapter 4, verse number 3, Our Teaching, chapter 4, verse number 15. Over and over again, the book of 2 Timothy is all about the Scripture, it's all about the Word, it's all about sound words, it's all about the truth, it's all about my teaching, it's all about the things that you have heard. Timothy, this is the standard. And if you, re if you don't retain the standard, you'll relinquish the standard. You'll lose the standard. Timothy, this is the most important thing I can tell you. Nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. So he says in 2 Timothy 4, He says, I solemnly charge you, verse number one, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom. Solomon, uh, Timothy, I charge you in the presence of the living God. This is not my saying. This is the living God charging you, Timothy. This is a solemn charge. 
from the king of the universe. Preach the word. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Ah, Timothy, preach the word. Endure the hardship of preaching the word. It's going to cost you. Time is coming. Well, they will not endure sound doctrine any longer. Why? Because the truth cannot be handled by those who oppose the truth. It will never be handled by them. They can't. They don't want to hear the truth. And so, Timothy, you're going to find pressure. And the pressure is going to increase. People don't want to hear the truth any longer. Don't cave, Timothy. Retain the standard. Have such a firm grip on the standard, you never lose the rule of law that God has given. Because it's the all-important truth. You'll be tempted by legalism, humanism, Gnosticism, Judaism, mysticism, today's day, Marxism, socialism, and yes, even communism. You will be tempted to move away from the truth because they don't want to hear it anymore. They want to hear other things, Timothy. They want to hear the smooth words but you cannot relinquish the standard. Retain the standard of sound words. Preach the words. The lure to alter the message is going to be so intense. It's going to be so great. Do not cave under the pressure of the culture. Timothy, do not become Canaanized like Israel was. Stay strong. Retain the standard, Timothy. Do not fall back from that. Why? Proverbs 29, 18. Without the revelation of God, the people will perish. They'll die. Timothy, they will not want to handle the truth any longer. And that's the way it's always been. People don't want to hear the truth. Go back with me some 700 years before the Apostle Paul to the book of Isaiah, the 30th chapter. Let me read this to you, walk it through with you so you understand it. We've read a lot of scripture today, but the word speaks for itself. I don't have to do much explanation. It's right there for you to read. But as Assyria is about to come down against Israel, Israel has a choice to make. 
what will they do? The world is coming against them. How will they respond? How will they handle the hardship and the persecution that's about to come their way? And God says in verse number one of chapter 30, woe to the rebellious children, declares the Lord, who execute a plan, but not mine. And make an alliance, but not of my spirit, in order to add sin to sin, who proceed down to Egypt without consulting me, to take refuge in the safety of Pharaoh, and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. Woe to you, Israel, my rebellious children, that will go back to where you came from, that will go back to the world. That's Egypt. Egypt is always representation of the world. In Deuteronomy 17, verse number 16, God told Israel, Moses said, do not go back to Egypt. Never go back there. And now Hezekiah wants to make an alliance with Egypt. He wants to make an alliance with the world. He wants to make a pact with the world that somehow the world will help them in times of crisis. You've executed your plan, but you didn't execute my plan, God says. <laughs> no, you didn't wait for me. You went on ahead of me. You wanted to make an alliance with the people of the world. But alliance with Egypt is making an alliance with a shadow. Has no substance. So it says in verse three, therefore the safety of Pharaoh will be your shame and the shelter of, in the shadow of Egypt, your humiliation. To make an alliance with the world is only gonna lead to your, to your humiliation. So he says in verse number six, the oracle concerning the beasts of the Negev through a land of distress and anguish, from there or from where come lioness and lion and viper and flying serpent. They carry their riches on the backs of their donkeys and their treasures on their camel humps to a people who cannot profit them, even Egypt, whose help is vain and empty. You're gonna make a journey. You're gonna journey through the Egyptian desert. You're gonna put your treasure in the back of your camels. You're gonna endure such hardship, such distress, such difficulty, because you will not wait for me. You will not seek my counsel. You're gonna do your own thing. You're gonna to wanna to obtain an alliance with the people of the world, and it's gonna cost you all kinds of time and all your treasures, and it's nothing but emptiness. There's no profit for you in this. None whatsoever. So he says to Isaiah, verse eight, now go write it on a tablet before them and inscribe it on a scroll that it may, may serve in the time to come as a witness forever. Isaiah, write it down. Write down what's happening. Write down what I'm going to say. Because in in days ahead, in years ahead, people are going to need to know and understand what my people did, what rebellious Israel did when they made an alliance with the things of the world, when they were unwilling to follow the revelation of truth that has been given to them and passed down for them from generation to generation. They're going to forgo that and make an alliance with Egypt, the world. It's going to cost them greatly. Write it down because I want them all to know. Historians tell us that, that 
Isaiah probably wrote it down on a placard and wore it across his chest so Israel would be able to read it as he would walk through the streets to explain to them what has taken place. Listen to this, verse number nine. For this is a rebellious people, false sons, sons who refuse to listen to the instruction of the Lord. Do you know that if you refuse to listen to the instruction of the, of the Lord, God calls you a false son, not a true son. Why? If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. But he says, this generation is a rebellious people. Listen to this, verse 10. Who say to the seers, you must not see visions. And to the prophets, you, you must not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us pleasant words. Prophesy illusions. Give us the smooth and flattering words. Same thing that Paul tells Timothy. They're not going to endure sound doctrine anymore, Timothy. They want, us, they want you to speak to them smooth things. Things that are, are good to listen to. They don't want you to speak to them truth. What is right. They want to tell you what is right. They don't want to hear the truth that I have to give them. Speak to us smooth, flattering things. Tell us how good we are. Tell us how kind we are. Tell us about all of our good things. Pat us on the back. Affirm us when we come, Isaiah. Don't give us the truth. Just tell us what we want to hear. We want to hear how good we are. We want to hear how nice we are. We want to hear how, how, how blessed we are as the people of God. Just keep telling us the good things, Isaiah. Just don't tell us what's right. Don't tell us the truth. Don't see a vision and give us the vision. Mm. Don't give us a prophecy. Just tell us what we want to hear. Churches today are filled with people who go to them because they tell them what they want to hear. And they leave satisfied and happy instead of sanctified and holy. So God says this. Verse 11, they will say, get out of the way. Turn aside from the path. Let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. We don't want to hear about the Holy God. Why? Because you see, that goes against our unholiness. We want to live a rebellious life. We want to seek our own alliance. We want to do our own thing. We don't want you to tell us what to do. So don't tell us about a holy God because he's going to give us a holy law. We don't want to hear from him. Therefore, says the Holy One of Israel, since you have rejected this word, and have put your trust in oppression and guile, and have relied on them. Therefore, this iniquity will be to you like a breach about to fall, a bulge in a high wall, whose collapse comes suddenly in, a, in an instant, whose collapse is like the smashing of a potter's jar, so ruthlessly shattered that assured will not be found among its pieces to take fire from a hearth or a scoop of water from a cistern. Oh, your iniquity will rise so high. Your rebellion will be so great 
that when you are shattered, you will fall greatly, so much so that when you see a jar that's broken and shattered, there's not even a piece big enough to be able to scrape out the fireplace or to even scoop up water because your demise will be so great because you would not listen to the truth. You sought alliances elsewhere and not with me. Verse 15, for thus the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel has said, in repentance and rest you will be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength, but you were not willing. Oh, I wanted to save you. I wanted to rescue you. But it requires repentance. It requires you to return back to me. It requires you to rely on me. And it requires you to rest in me. But you didn't want that. You were unwilling. And you said, verse 16, no, for we will flee on horses. Therefore you shall flee. And we will ride on swift horses. And therefore those who pursue you shall be swift. Or in other words, oh, you think you're on a fast horse? Guess what? Your enemy's on a faster horse. They're still going to get you. 1,000 will flee at the threat of one man. You will flee at the threat of five until you are left as a flag on a mountaintop and as a signal on a hill. Cities would, would communicate one with another based on flags upon hills. And the flag on your hill will be a flag of demise, a flag of destruction, a flag of warning because you were not willing to repent. You were not willing to return you're not willing to rest and rely only upon me. You just were unwilling to do that. Oh, that's what I wanted. Then it says in verse 18, therefore the Lord longs to be gracious to you and therefore he waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. How blessed are all those who wait, trust, Rely and long only for him. And the rest of the prophecy goes in to talk about what's going to happen as a result of their Babylonian captivity and ultimately what's going to happen when the ultimate teacher comes to Messiah and says, walk in this way and you will say, in that way we will walk because you would have learned to obey your teacher. So easily, so easily, the church has resisted what God has said. And is so willingly wanting to follow what the world says. And yet God has made it very clear in his word. You ought to fear me and keep my commandments. Without the revelation of God, you will perish. Because the revelation of God is the only thing that matters. Moses said it. Isaiah said it. Paul said it. All throughout the word of God, the message is clear. It's reiterated over and over again. 
fear me. Do not fear your government. Do not fear your man around you. Do not f- don't fear society. Don't fear the culture. Don't fear the Supreme Court. Fear only me. Amen. And keep my commandments. If, if the left is successful and they pack the Supreme Court with four more justices, you'll never have a 5-4 decision in favor of the church ever again. It will always be against the church. Then what will the church do? Would they still submit to the decisions of the Supreme Court? Or will they submit to the decrees of the supreme judge of all the earth, God himself? May God give us the strength and the grace to accomplish his word, to fear only him as keep his commandments. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. You are a great God. Your word is so true and pure. There is so much to discuss, so little time to do it. And yet, Lord, you've made it very clear. Fear me. Keep my commandments. It will be well with you. I will prolong your life. I will protect you, watch out for you, care for you. But be careful. Be careful that you don't turn quickly away and go after gods that will not satisfy and seek advice and counsel from the world that cannot sustain you. Lord, you are our answer. You are our God. May we live so all will know that we serve one God, one King, one Judge, one Lord, Jesus Christ. We pray in your name. Amen.